0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us on the marital dispute in Genesis chapter 21 between Abraham and Sarah, and we'll study the Hebrew word hashav and its use in the scriptures. Now, this message is available for free download by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, download it and listen to it for free, or go online to itunes.com and just search for the Friendship with God podcast and download and listen to it for free. Now, Tom Cantor is offering as our resource of the month his book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism. Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism. It's a great book by Tom Cantor. It'll help you to scripturally answer the questions of what is biblical salvation and what is fatalistic Calvinism? And did God really die for the entire world? And when it says all in the Bible, does all mean all people are called to repentance? He'll also answer the questions on who can resist God's will, what are chosen and changed children, and did God predestinate people to die and to go to hell? This wonderful book from Tom Cantor called Whosoever Will vs. Fatalism will show you that we're all faced with a personal crisis of obedience, just as Joseph and Eve and even Judas faced crises of obedience. Now, this book examines the character of God and His promises and compares them with the teachings of the Bible and fatalistic Calvinism and provokes us with a question of what if God misled or what if God lied. The most important and eye-opening part of this book is that Tom Cantor himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. Now, if you'd like a copy of this book from Tom Cantor as our resource of the month, it's yours for a donation of $20 or more that supports this Bible teaching radio ministry, Friendship with God. You can call us with your donation of $20 or more for Whosoever Will versus Fatalism by Tom Cantor at 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, to our online bookstore. Just click on Resources when you get to our website, and click on Tom Cantor's materials and you'll be able to purchase those right online as well as many of the resources from Tom Cantor. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, teaching us from Genesis chapter 21 on the time of life that Sarah would have a son and how God formed man out of the dust of the earth at the time of life that man would be made.
1: Okay, turn in your Bibles please to Genesis 21 verse 9. And let's begin right away with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. It's a wonderful lamp that you gave to us, a wonderful light. And we pray this morning, Lord, that we would benefit from it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 21, verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of 'er Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs and she went and sat her down against him a good way off as it had been a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat "...over against him, and lift up her voice, and wept. God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I'll make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle of water, and gave to the lad to drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer." Now, in our last study, we saw the searing words that we just read of Sarah, that she said to Abraham when she demanded of him, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir, with my son even Isaac. So we saw how Sarah was inconsolably incensed when she saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. And with all this furious anger that she had, she turns to Abraham and she demands to Abraham, cast out the Hagar and Ishmael. And we saw that when she used those words, cast out, very strong term in Hebrew, garash, and it means to drive them out, like you would drive out an enemy that invaded your land. Same word that's used for divorce. In other words, she demanded Abraham divorce himself from them. We saw how Sarah had already divorced herself, from Hagar, when she wouldn't call her by her name, but she said, this bondwoman. And we saw how Sarah had demanded that Abraham go ahead and divorce yourself from seeing in any way Ishmael is your son. And so she calls him the son of this bondwoman. We saw how Sarah had put Abraham in a position of having to choose. Choose now, Abraham. Is it going to be me, Sarah, or is it going to be this bondwoman, Hagar? Choose between us, Abraham. She said, Abraham, will it be Isaac, your son with me, or the son of that bondwoman, Ishmael? Choose between them, Abraham. So this put Abraham in just a shattered, destroyed state of mind, as we read in verse 11. And the thing was very grievous in in Abraham's sight because of his son. And to feel what it means when we want to get into this and really feel what is going on with Abraham in verse 11, that it says the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. We can just put ourselves in Abraham's shoes at this point. Abraham understands exactly what Sarah is demanding that he do, and he's grieved as he considers what it would mean to do what Sarah says to throw Hagar and Ishmael out into this desert of death with no water. He's grieved as he thinks though, what it means, though, as Sarah's asking him to do or demanding him to do. And he thinks in his mind of what he actually ends up doing, of the giving the one bottle of water in verse 14 he's grieved as he thinks that that he can see himself going and selecting which bottle and am i going to use you know do i choose a large bottle do i choose a small bottle i choose a small bottle then the death comes faster I choose a large bottle it drags out the agony of the thirst death by thirst and he's grieved As he thinks of himself filling the bottle of water, which he does, and he wonders, every last drop of water that I'm going to put into this bottle, this may be, it's going to run out and I can see them fighting over it. And he's grieved as he sees the despair of Hagar and his son in the desert with no water. And he imagines their cries You know, like the pings of that plane, you know, getting fainter and fainter. And then finally there's no more crying. And he's grieved as he imagines all this. He's grieved as he thinks his servants are going to be running to him and saying, we found the mutilated bodies of your son Ishmael and Hagar out in the desert. And we can feel all this grievousness in verse 11. And he's grieved at his wife, Sarah, for being so harsh, she's so unmerciful as to propose this torturous death the murder of Hagar and and, uh, Abraham's son. So he's grieved when he thinks of this because he knows it's even against the custom of the land. The custom of the land in that day was that if you had a bondwoman or if you had a wife and she was with you for seven years, which Hagar was, you weren't allowed to cast her out. But he's grieved as he's wondering, is he going to comply with Sarah's demand and cast out Hagar and Ishmael into the jaws of this desert of death? I mean, how could he ever love Sarah again? with all this and this is a marital dispute by the way (laughs) that's an understatement (laughs) and we saw in this marital dispute how abraham held his tongue he held his tongue and he learned that in a marital dispute how important it is to follow it's important for us we look at abraham it's important for us to follow his example don't let loose on the reins of anger you know, and don't let loose with words that will only escalate the dispute farther. But then we saw how God came to Abraham in his shattered and his destroyed state of mind. And he says to Abraham in verse 12, God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So we saw how God said this first. He says to him, don't let what Sarah is demanding you to do be grievous to you. That's easy for God to say. How come? And then he commands Abraham, just go ahead and do everything that she says. Do it all. And then he tells them, obey him, obey God, and do. It's a matter of obedience to God. If you're going to obey me, Abraham, you're going to do what Sarah said. I don't know what was harder about it, to do what Sarah said or the fact that Sarah said to do it. I don't know. But it was all hard. But anyway, he says, do it. And we saw how this put Abraham's mind at ease because God told Abraham two points, two things he didn't know. And so, well, he did know kind of one. But anyway, at the end of verse 12, the first thing God says is, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So God said, I'm going to call from the seed of Isaac. I'm going to call out from the seed of Isaac. It reminds us in Hosea 11.1 when the Lord said, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. And that was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in Matthew 2.15, when the family of Joseph and Mary, the Lord Jesus, fled down to Egypt, it says there, and it was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. So when he says in Isaac, shall thy seed be called? So from those words, in Isaac, shall thy seed be called? God is showing to Abraham that he's going to call out of his seed, God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, out of the seed of Isaac, not out of the seed of Ishmael, out of the seed of Isaac. Although Sarah appears to be just inhumanely harsh and unmerciful, God was saying to Abraham that Sarah's demands were going to accomplish the will of God by removing Ishmael out of Abraham's house. And as Abraham understood that we can imagine Abraham saying, how in the world can an out of control raging Sarah in full bloom of wrath be perfectly in line with God's will? And that's what he had to consider. And the answer is in Psalm seventy-six, ten: surely the wrath of man, or it could be woman too, <laughs> shall praise thee the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So maybe Sarah might have said, kill him. If she did, that was restrained. And this is exactly what will happen with Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, who's going to come on the scene later on. And in Genesis 37, 18-20, we read that when his brothers, Joseph's brothers, it says, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him and they said one to another behold this dreamer cometh come now therefore let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we'll say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of this dreams now how could the murderous intentions of joseph's brothers be right in line with the will of god now how could the rage of sarah be right in line with the will of god but they were and just like with Sarah's murderous demand, the murderous intentions of Joseph's brothers when they threw him into the pit to die of thirst in the desert were right in line with the will of God. And Joseph actually told them that in that great verse. You might want to turn to it. Genesis chapter 50. It's not so hard to turn to. It's in the same book. It's just a little bit farther along. Genesis 50 verse 20. This last chapter in Genesis. Genesis 50 verse 20 where... Joseph, speaking of this event, says, as he looks back on it, everything has has happened that's going to happen, and so he looks back on it, and he says, in this comment, verse of the past, As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. See, what Joseph said, was saying here is that, look, when you threw me in the desert pit with no water, you intended to murder me, but you were accomplishing the will of God because God meant it unto good. And we can see Joseph point his brothers as his singers, and we read this verse in verse 20 here, Genesis 50, verse 20, as he said, but as for you, he points at him you know, you thought evil against me. And then we can see Joseph taking the same finger and pointing to the sky as he went on and says, but God meant it for good. See, as for you, you wanted to murder me, but God meant it to good to bring to pass as it is this day. In other words, he's looking there and he said, you see all these people, much people, they're alive because you did this. But the beauty of that verse comes to us as we peel back, as we have to so often, peel back the English words to see the Hebrew word that was used for thought and meant, because it's the same word. In English, the two different words, thought, and meant, but in Hebrew, same word. It's our old friend, the Hebrew word that we've studied in the past, chashav. And so, what this is saying here is that, but as for you, you thought you chashaved evil against me. But God, man, God hashabed it unto good, to bring to pass, as is this day, save much people alive. See, that's that same Hebrew word Hashav in both cases. And we studied that word Hashav, when we saw that that was the word that was used so importantly in Genesis 15, 6, where it speaks about Abraham, that he believed God, he believed the Lord, and he counted it. God counted it unto him for righteousness. God hashabed it. To him for righteousness. And then when they quoted this in the English New Testament, which was from Greek, so, you know, we go from Hebrew to Greek to English. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. Anyway, when they did that, the English word they used is imputed in Romans 4.22. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And the basis for these words counted, well, in the case what we're studying now, thought, meant, uh, imputed, is the basis of it, is the word, the Hebrew word, chashav. See, so that word, chashav, opened up for us. We saw it already as we realized that that's the word that was used to describe the work of Aholiab and Betzleel as they worked on the curtains. In the tabernacle from Exodus 26.1, where it says, Moreover, thou shalt make a tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, blue, purple, scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work, of Hashav work. He says, the work that you're going to do when you take that fine twine linen and you weave in all those threads of the blue, scarlet, and purple is going to be the work of Hashav. It says, Hashav work, shalt thou make them. We saw that was the word that was used to describe the same two people, Oholiab and Betzleel, as they were making the ephod for the tabernacle. And it said in Exodus 28.6, And thou shalt make the ephod of gold and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with cunning work, with chashav work. So when we saw a holy oven Bethlehem embroidering those cherubims, you know, don't bother me now, I'm working on the cherubims. And they've got the fine twine linen, and you know, and, and they're reaching for the gold, the pile of the gold thread, and the pile of the purple thread, and the pile of scarlet thread. And we saw them embroidering. That was chashav, chashaving. They were chashaving there. What are you doing? I'm chashaving. Can't you see? I'm doing this. Don't bother me. So when we saw, uh, we saw them also weaving, this time they had the gold threads, and the purple, and the blue, and the scarlet to make the ephod, the breastplate, what are you doing there? I'm weaving. I'm chashaving. I'm making the that's what I'm doing, and we saw how they worked hard on it. It was emphasized. It was emphasized. They work did a hard work of embroidering, hard work of weaving, hard work of hachabing. There, those curtains, and also, and the same with the ephah. And they were so intent, and they couldn't be distracted. The world was shut out from them. They were just bent over until they got it finished. And they held up the curtains, and they said, oh, "Whatever, the artist." And so he looked at it. He said, perfect, perfect. Unless it wasn't, then he went back and did it again. Anyway, perfect. He says, perfect, it's just what I wanted. Oh, that's nice. And when God then said in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God, and then God hashabed righteousness into Abraham, then we understand how God was like a holy abombetzlel, and he's reaching for the gold, the threads, and the purple, and the scarlet, all threads of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's working hard to embroider onto and weave into Abraham's soul the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like a Holy Aholiab and Bezleel, God would stand back and he'd look at Abraham and say, perfect, perfect, just the way I wanted it. All right, what do you see, God? I see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've hashabed it into him. But of him, in 1 Corinthians one thirty, of him are you in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto us? Why? He hashabed it. The wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So God hashabs, he embroiders he weaves the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into us. And that's how he looks at us, and he says, I see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who has a, 2 Corinthians 5.21 Who hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, chashav, the righteousness of God in him. So God's the Hashaver. Well, this word chashav is very important because this is the word that Joseph used when he said in the verse that I hope you're still looking at in Genesis 50:20 but as for you you thought you hashaved evil against me but God meant he hashaved it unto the good to bring to pass the much people saved my life see Joseph's brothers they wove the events ooh here he comes there's the pit there we go throw him in the pit he dies you know that was a hashaving of them they were weaving it evil against me but God was also he wasn't sitting back he said, they were weaving all those weave, the events to evil, the murder of Joseph. And he's saying to his brothers, but wait, you weren't the only khashavers here, or the weavers. God's a khashaver too. He is weaving also. You're weaving my murder. He's weaving also. What's he doing? Chashav, he says, men are good, tov. And he is chashav life, chaya, he says, a life for much people. So these are the two chashavings which were going on in Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers, they were chashaving his death, and God was chashaving life. One's chashaving death, the other's chashaving life. That's what it is. And this is true not only of Joseph's brothers, not only of Sarah, but also in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at Acts 4, verses 10 through 12, where the apostles are the people of Israel. He says, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which is set at not by you builders. You see? see what they're saying there. He said, look, he said, "You hashaved for the Lord Jesus Christ that he should be crucified by the hands of the Romans." That's what you did. You set up the whole thing, you took him Pilate, you persisted, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And why did you do that? Because you were hashaving that this stone, which had become very important throughout Israel as all the people flocked to him, you were hashaving that it should be not, not, nothing. zero. You were wiping him out. May His name and memory be forgotten as the word yeshu means" uh, stands for. But then, he says, all oh, right, that was your Hashaving. But, but God, he had a different Hashaving. He was raising him from the dead. And not only raising him from the dead, but he was making it so that he would become the head of cornerstone, and he was Hashaving so that there's going to be salvation and none other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So one hashav's death, God Hashav's life. And this is what Romans 8.28 is all emphasizing when it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his promise. Now, why do all things work together for good? Because God's the great chashavar, and he's doing his chashaving to make the weaving and to work together for good. So this is what God was saying to Abraham. And I can look back in Genesis 21. In verse 12, and as you look back on there, somebody turn on the air conditioning before I melt. <laughs> it's hot in here. It doesn't matter. The hotter it gets, the more agitated he becomes. And so in verse 12, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight, because of the lad, because of the bondwoman, thy like bondwoman, he says, just do it. And so... What God is saying here to Abraham, he's saying, Look, I know that Sarah is busy hashaving the death of Hagar and Ishmael. But don't you worry, Abraham, because I also am busy hashaving here, and I'm hashaving life for the world by calling my son out of your seat from Isaac. And for that purpose, Ishmael, he has to leave. But just trust that I'm hashaving here Abraham and do all that he says don't worry about Sarah's hashaving just look at me hashaving and then you don't have to take Zantac and Valium over this <laughs> But by the way in addition to hashaving for Isaac I'm also hashaving for Ishmael Two. And that's what he's saying in verse thirteen. He says, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. See God's saying, Don't you worry, Abraham, about Ishmael, because I'm hashabing his future too. He's got a future. He's going to be a great nation. So God in verse thirteen gives to Abraham a promise. He says, Abraham, take it to the bank. You got a promise, uh you got a promise for Ishmael. He's going to be a great nation, and great nations don't come out of mutilated bodies in the desert. Anyway, so the best way to see the difference in the Bible between believers and non-believers is follow the promises. Follow the promises of God and see what people do with them. And so here in verses 12 and 13, God has given to Abraham two very important promises that God is going to call the great blessing, the person who is the great blessing, out of isaac and that god will make a great nation from ishmael so abraham has the promise from god to call the seed out of isaac and therefore ishmael must leave so abraham believes god and he sends ishmael away
0: thank you for joining tom Cantor and the friendship with god radio program today as we mentioned at the start of our broadcast tom Cantor's offering is a resource of the month his book called whosoever will versus fatalism If you'd like a copy of this resource, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll get you that resource sent to you. Now, also remember that Tom Cantor wants to invite you out to the Creation and Earth History Museum here in Santee, California, right in San Diego, California. So if you're in the Southern California area, come out to Museum Day with Tom Cantor on Saturday, September 27th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's Saturday, September 27th, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. We'll have Tom Cantor speaking, Dr. Jason Lyle of Institute for Creation Research, Eric Hovind of Creation Today, Ray Comfort of Living Waters Ministries and other creationists like Bill Morgan. We'll also have Animals After the Ark, as this year's theme is Noah's Ark and the Door of Salvation. We'll also have food and lots of other petting zoos, games, rides, and other things for families and children. For more information, go to creationsd.org. That's creationsd for San Diego, creationsd.org. Or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051.